You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. And as you heard me saying earlier in the programme, my very special guest is the Reverend uh, Claire Downing. And Claire is the current uh, moderator of the United Reformed Church in the Wessex region. Now, I'm going to be asking Claire all about what moderator is and all her responsibility, <laughs> all of that sort of stuff, that we, all the stuff that you'll want to know and I'll want to know. But Lord, before we do that, Claire, tell us a wee bit about your, 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 your early upbringing and your sort of uh, interest in all things faith. How did, that, how did that all start? So I was brought up, um, typical child of the 50s, I think, um, from um, nominally Church of England parents, but, but we didn't do church. Um, well, we did do church. You went to visit historic buildings one days out. Um, and I remember back very early on having some feel about some of those buildings but there was nothing more than that uh, so my my faith journey more obviously started in my teens when I was invited by a school friend to a covenanter group a bit like crusaders yes, so a, yeah. a, a youth organization and um, I started going to that and it was through that organization and uh, that that I became a Christian um, in my early teens now alongside all of that what were your other passions oh passions Mm. Hobbies, and hobbies and things. I mean, I was always a bit of a bookish child, um, but I was also something of a, a tomboy. I enjoyed climbing trees and all of that stuff. Um, but I was also quite musical. Uh, music has been part of my life since, well, before starting to learn the piano age five or whenever it was. So along with the music, has the tomboy tendencies, has that remained as well? Well, yes. you don't often see me in a skirt, let's say. <laughs> but it's, I mean, in, in many ways, you know, when you're out there and you're doing adventurous things and you're, uh, you know, you're enjoying nature, aren't you, out there? Yeah. Even though it'd probably be a bit scary, some of Are you a person who stretches yourself? On occasion, yes. Um, so, you know, more recently, I learned to ride a motorbike when I was in my 40s. Um, I, I've done a reasonable amount of sailing, although I refused to go on one of the boats my husband got, which got nicknamed Dad's Midlife Crisis. <laughs> it was all string and sail and no boat. Yeah. And of course, you need a lot, a lot of skill for, you know, for sailing boats as well, don't you? I have a certificate that tells me I'm a competent crew. I don't believe it, but it tells me I am one. I'm into boats, but more of the cruise ship size, if you know what I mean. Oh, no, can't be bothered with those. <laughs> it's not real sailing. I know, I know that. I know that. Well, and the music side, how did, how, did, how did you get into all things music? Well, I guess it was a fairly musical family. My, my mother played the piano and learning an instrument was was something that well two of the three of us did my elder brother was singularly not musical appreciated music but didn't play um so i started on piano and tried out various instruments at different times played the trombone in a brass band at one point we were living in brass band country and a friend would provide instruments and teach any youngster to play if they were willing to play in the band um Picked up the guitar partly through church stuff, so the Covenanter group that I belonged to, which 
had a, a leader who tried to play the guitar and I have to say didn't do it terribly well. I was going to say it was the emphasis on the word try. Uh, yeah, yeah. So so learning to play the guitar was was one of those things, and that's that's been very much a a part of life since. Um, picked up a flute when there were too many guitarists in 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 life when I was when I was at university. Um, uh, have a go at almost anything, but not a master of anything. Come, mm. come the music. But isn't it interesting how those, even those early passions that we have in life. In your case, obviously, you know, a, a bit of the adventure, the outdoorsy type uh, thing, and of course your music. And these things, of course, pretty much are with you all of your life, aren't they? Oh yes, I mean they they change in exactly how you do things and what you do. Um, but yes, the the interests are there, uh, and some of the music I've chosen, I, I realised looking at it earlier that it's all a bit old. But um, but yes, music is, is part of the the soundtrack of life. It's one of the ways in which I relax. Certainly, driving in the car, listening to music is really important. Um, making music as well, and I guess that, like for somebody like yourself, because obviously you're you're very much at the sharp end of church leadership and so on. So I guess that having time for yourself, time to relax, is really important. It is, and sometimes it's not just relax as in putting putting your feet up. Um, one of the things I noticed during COVID, where everything went online, was that I really missed the times in the car, mostly listening to music, but they were winding down, processing what I'd just been at, thinking about what I was going on to do, and sitting at my desk didn't have the same effect. <laughs> no, it doesn't, does it? Well, that's Stuart Townend there, uh, come people of uh, the Risen King. Bouncy little number. And you're right, Claire, actually, because Stuart, has, he has such a skill in being able to lead people in worship, isn't he? But, but also lively worship. Yes, yeah. And leading worship is one of those things that energises me as well, I think, and, and is a really important part of life. And even as a, a young person, I mean, back in that Covenanter group, you know, using using some skills both musically but also they encouraged us to to lead meetings and things like that so and of course all of that builds confidence doesn't it yeah yes and i i think the sort of leadership skills that i picked up from that from being involved in guiding um i, I guess i became what would be called a young leader but was just a, a random hanger on eventually i think but uh, but yes leadership skills were were part of part of growing up and of course it's 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 interesting isn't it how our very early experiences in life you know sort of very much set us up for what we do in in the future don't don't they it's only when we look back and we think crikey you know my character and my faith and so on was developed in those those early years yeah and whilst I think my my faith has changed over the years, well, it, it certainly has changed, and and the way in which I would express it is different. But that that grounding that I had in 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 my teens was really important. Mm. And and so how did things progress? I mean, did, did way back then did you consider that you'd one day have a career within the the general church, or was that not in your mind at all? Uh, not in the mind at all. Um, let's be honest, back in the 
early mid 70s uh, the place of women in the church was fairly limited in many ways um, and it, it didn't even cross my mind. Somewhere on a bookshelf at home, I have a book which is a relic of that era called Careers for Girls. It doesn't mention being a minister. I mean, of course, that would have been true about, you know, CEOs of companies and so on, right the way through professional development. Yes. I mean, women were beginning to become more obvious in some ways, but there was still an expectation of, of being... Um, being in service jobs to a great extent, I think. Um, my my mother, who was forced to leave school at 16, having fought to stay on uh, that far, um, was incredibly committed to a, her daughters getting educated. But she struggled later in life with the fact that a couple of periods both of her daughters were the major wage earners in their family and their husbands were the major... Um, Child, so a bit of child, a clash with yeah. education. So, <laughs> so yes, that interesting thing about about expectations um, in all sorts of ways over the generations. Um, but yes, the 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 fact that women are able to take roles in so many different places now, I think, is important. Um, so obviously, you did go to university. I did go to university. What did you study? Studied psychology. Um, was it up in Durham for three years, which was a glorious place to be. Um, but but perhaps if you, if you want to just go back a step, I also did a year of voluntary work in between school and university. Oh, so you had a gap year then? So I had a gap year. Yeah. Um, and I worked with London City Mission for a year. Uh, they just started a new scheme um, for young adults. And uh, I spent a year in London um, working both in an evangelistic way but also um, in youth clubs and centres with people with who are homeless, all sorts of experience there, um, which was, again, really quite, quite important. And also living in community. So 20 of us uh, sharing space together. You learn a lot about yourself and others and and about the way in which groups work together. And actually, I was going to say it's very important, isn't it? Because, I mean, some people, you know, go straight to Bible college and so on quite quite, quite young. You know, I know that people can go sometimes even straight from, from, from school. But, of course, to have life experience and, and to know a little bit more about how this whole world works and, and its pluses and its negatives is very important, isn't it? It is, and having been brought up in a, in a fairly sort of standard middle class setting, a bit sheltered, somewhat sheltered, um, to actually spend time in some of the poorer parts of London and to get to know people for whom that was home, um, to get to know people, youngsters who were in and out of care, uh, all sorts of different sorts of people. Um, that was incredibly valuable i mean i also learned that i was not cut out to be an evangelist <laughs> i believe in evangelism but in terms of a ministry it isn't me it wasn't it wasn't you and uh, what did you discover about yourself though i mean obviously you discovered you weren't an evangelist but what did you discover <laughs> what was you <laughs> i discovered that hmm, 
it's quite difficult to nail down. I think I discovered just how central my faith was to life. I mean, it clearly was central at that point enough to go and join such a scheme. Um, it taught me something about how I interact with people uh, and a bit of how because I'm loud and and all of that, I can become a bit overwhelming at times. Um, it taught me the value of different gifts in different people and, and to value all that people brought together, I think. Uh, and and something of the listening to people's experiences as well, um, to listen to the experiences uh, of somebody who was living on the streets was something new to me and recognising that their take on life was very different from mine but was just as important. And also, I, I suppose that you would have seen a fair bit of, of pain and, dare I say, injustice. And the things, of course, that, that we do experience when we, when we open our eyes and we go into some of these very different and deprived cultures. Yes. And, and I mean, I, I trained after university as a social worker. So I also, you know, dealt with, with um, particularly with childcare um, That's a tough field, isn't it? It's a tough field and, you know, the place of a social worker is in the wrong and you have to accept that. Mm-hmm. Um, but watching the struggles that people had with with addiction and with poverty uh, and at that point I was in Merseyside for much of that and, and unemployment was was a huge issue. So many bits of life which I had never experienced but being alongside people, challenging them, but also recognising the limitations that, that they had. And we all have limitations, but some some are always going to struggle more than others. So, Claire, did you, did you hit anything in terms of a crisis of faith? I mean, sometimes, very often in, in our lives, you know, we hit, I call them bumps in the road, you know, where things... Mm knock us off track as it were are we are we find it difficult you know to put things together in our mind a loving god with what we're experiencing and so on did 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 any of that come your way i don't think i ever had a a huge crisis of faith but that's not to say it's not been a bumpy journey um so some of the things that that happen um you know, again, going back to my teens, sort of moving house at 16 and losing the friendship group and 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 those who had supported me in my, my burgeoning faith, for instance. That was a tough time. I don't think it, it didn't in, in any sense destroy my faith, but it made it very tough. Uh, and I think, you know, there there are all sorts of things where that happens, that the questioning, why does God allow the poverty or why does God allow the suffering and and when you've known people you know with significant disabilities or with very painful illnesses um trying to find God within that mm-hmm. is is difficult and being willing to say no I don't understand either of all of the things that you could have chosen to study, <clears throat> you know, having had your, your gap year and so on, what, why psychology? I was thinking that I might be pursuing a, a career either in social work or possibly in special needs teaching. And so it felt like uh, 
a choice that made sense in in that way. Um, I'd done sciences at A-level, but I I didn't want to be a scientist. I I thought about pharmacy, but I'm far too slapdash. Um, So it was a it was a subject that i knew would stretch me um would would provide challenges uh, at that stage in the 70s there was still a sense in some places in the church that it was a dangerous subject because it was trying to explain away everything um i never quite saw it like that but um but something that fascinated me uh, and seemed like a good step towards potential careers. 90.1 Hope FM and hopefm.com uh, For those of you who just joined us, uh, my very special guest today is the moderate, moderator of the Wessex region of URC Churches, Claire Darling. And uh, sadly, we're going to be losing her soon because she's going to be moving to Pastures New. But for now, she's still the moderator of the United Reform Church. And we're talking to Claire. I'm talking to Claire about her life and, and faith. I think we got as far as university. We did touch a wee bit on the on the whole women thing. And we'll come back to that because it's a really important thing. I mean, clearly, you, you then studied uh, psychology. And then, then did you immediately become a social worker? Did you go back to train to be a a, a, a social worker? I spent a couple of years working in a day centre, mostly with people with learning disabilities, before then doing the official social work training and then practising as a, so, a social worker. So a long academic sort of slog for you then? Oh, and every time I did any sort of academic stuff, I always said never again. <laughs> yeah. Now, having worked in, in childcare myself for a while, I, in fact, I'm still on the fostering panel for, for Bournemouth. Uh, I, I know that, that social workers working in the whole field of childcare, that it's a very, very difficult field because you get blamed <laughs> for being a bit of a do-gooder and all of that carry on don't you oh yes i mean it, it, it's tough and when i look back at, at, at me in my 20s and and the sort of um the responsibilities that i was holding i actually find that quite scary um you know i wasn't a parent at that point um i i had a I had a lot of knowledge and I also enjoyed relating to people. And I think it's those relationships and building on those that was the really important thing. Because actually, if you're going to work with a family to try and get things on an even keel so children can remain there, that relationship uh, is vital. But also recognising that sometimes you simply have to make the tough decisions and that children can't remain at home. Yeah, and it's, and it's very, very sad, isn't it? I mean, I, clearly you heard me saying about being on the fostering panel, but now it seems to me that, cert- that certainly the breakdown of family life is sadly on the increase. Uh, and it's, it's, on the other hand, though, it's wonderful to see you foster people coming forward, you know? In fact, many of them, many of them are, are people of faith uh, themselves coming through mm-hmm. panels and so on, but it, 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 you, you get the sort of the difficulties that children have to go through, some terrible circumstances. But again, you've got these lovely people who are putting themselves out there and who really do not only generally, gen, generally care, but do something about it, you know, open up their homes. Uh, and my admiration for foster parents is huge. Uh, and the, the ability to take on a child at short notice and to do that letting go process at times, even when nobody's certain that what the child's going back to is is going to work 
and it's a tough it's tough decisions you know children thrive best if they can live with their natural parents in a decent way but sometimes that that's not possible um i also have friends who have adopted uh, and again it's a tough ask of people to do that mm, absolutely uh, yeah so whenever you were so there you were, obviously you've had a very broad experience all of it of course in the realms of working with people and very much at the sharp end of community work um during all of that time were you heavily involved in church life as well Yes, um, a whole variety of church experience during that time. As as a young person, I felt my family moved a bit and then I went, I did a year of voluntary work, three years at university and then another move. At the end of university, I got married and so another move then and, and working. Um, so a whole variety of church experiences. Um, so I was... My, my church membership has included an open brethren church, Baptist churches, independent churches. While I was at university, I was attending a United Reformed Church. So a um, bit of a Heinz, all varieties. And of course, it's a good thing to have that broad experience of church life, isn't it? Because it, it, ex, it expands your mind, doesn't it? Yes. And you, you realise that some of the things that happen in church are very cultural rather than actually being basic to the faith. And your ideas get challenged through that. I think that's important. So how long did you did you last as a social worker then? <laughs> well, yes, I was probably... It was probably only about six years in, in sort of field social work, having done my training. And then we started a family and... Um, oh, the romance before that. Then. Oh, the romance, yeah. Well, John and I met during that year of voluntary work, um, but the romance bit, we, w- we were good friends, but the romance bit was in my final year at university and we, we got married after that. So, yes, and then we, w- we were married several years before deciding to start our own family fantastic and then how many children did you end up with two two sons who are, are now in their 30s um but yes two little boys in quick succession <laughs> hard work <laughs> uh, exhausting yes <laughs> yeah the um so w- when did the whole thing of actually going into the ministry w- where did that come from how did that develop in you I- there, there are hints of it early on. So certainly when I was coming to the end of university and was, was looking for a job to do, um, tutoring in my college suggested to me um, a particular job that was going in a church in Cambridge, which I didn't go for because I was going to be living in Merseyside. Um, but that was a sort of ministry role, though not not a, an official one. Um my husband is also a minister, um, but that, again, was, a, was a, a change of career, midlife. And there was a point, it was, it was round about the time of our, our children arriving, where he was considering whether he might um, uh, apply to go into ministry. It's something that he'd considered as a young adult, but felt that it wasn't the right time. 
and in amongst all the conversations we were having around that between ourselves and with others, there was the question being asked of me, well, shouldn't you be doing that as well? Um, it generally involved me telling people where to get off because it didn't <laughs> seem like a good idea to me. Um, politely, obviously. Of course. Um, but I... I did explore the idea of becoming a church-related community work, which is a scheme in the United Reformed Church, which is what it says on the tin. Uh, and it seemed to me that that would bring together the, the passions of faith and, and social justice and the work that I'd been doing. Um, so I did explore that. And both myself and the church reached the conclusion that wasn't what I was called to. Um Within that process, the idea of ministry was raised again um, and it took another couple of years before I, I finally bit the bullet and said, OK, I will put myself forward um, for assessment for, for training for ministry. Now, you've already said earlier in the programme that you discovered very early on that you weren't an evangelist. Mm. Um, what were you then? I mean, I mean and I asked, you, I asked you that before, but, but as you got to that point, we're saying, you know what, I'm going to go for at least putting myself up for selection. Um, <laughs> yeah. Did you know a bit more about what you were when you went to that panel? I think, I mean... The whole thing of being a people person, so the, the, the pastoral, um, but recognising that being a good pastor is not, not always about being nice. Um, the organisational skills that are useful in, in being involved in the running of a, of a structure as well as the stuff with people. Um, communication. Um, whilst... Most of my experience was of leading worship rather than of preaching. I knew that I was able to communicate. And that, again, seems to me to be a, a vital part of uh, the role. Um, I think the final thing, which, which perhaps in my later ministries has been more important, has, has actually been the problem solving. And they're not, they're not being too scared of conflict. Very important in in the modern world, isn't it? Because you have conflict on so many different levels and all all over the place. But you know, one of the things that you can either see as really encouraging or, or totally discouraging is when you look at those er letters to early churches in the Bible, and they were all in a mess in some way or other. Um, there's nothing new in in the conflicts in the church, really. Um, we're all people struggling to share the gospel together and sometimes that leads us in into difficult times with each other now of all, of all of the denominations that you could have trained in because obviously you were very much an interdenominational animal in so you know throughout your early years and so on why, why the why the united reformed church and was it you the united reformed church then because obviously that happened a wee bit later didn't no. it united reformed church has been around since 1972 when Presbyterians and Congregationalists came together. So I was definitely United Reformed Church by this stage. Um, it basically was a matter of we had gone to a local church and the one that we felt was very clearly that the church that we should belong to locally was a United Reformed Church. So that's where I was. Um, I think... You know, I remember being asked that sort of question during assessment and one of the questions was, well, why not a Baptist church? And being a bearer of 
little brain at times, I just basically came out with, well, if God had wanted me to be a Baptist minister, could God have seen fit to put me somewhere near a Baptist church? Um, oh, so, a reasonable comment. <laughs> uh, so, yes, I'm in the United Reformed Church because that's where I was when I was, I, I sensed this call to serve as a minister. Mm. So what was that selection process like? Was it was it tough? Oh, it was, it was long and tedious. Um, it, it was... I think it's very important that when, that when we're looking for ministers, we do go through a tough process. And one of the issues, I think, for the, the United Reformed Church at that time was that so many of us who were putting ourselves forward for ministry didn't come from the United Reformed Church originally. And so that whole question of, you know, did I fit in with with the URC was, was one that was explored quite a lot. Mm. Um, which is all the more funny when you find yourself in positions of significant responsibility in the church later, but there you go. You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. And my very special guest today is the moderator of the URC Church in the Wessex region, at least for now, Claire Downing. Claire is actually moving to Pastors New in the in the Northwest. We'll talk about that in a moment. But we left it, Claire, where you'd, you'd been selected, uh, you'd started the training. Was, was that a long process? My training took four years altogether. Um, that was mostly, it would have been three years, but I did it on a part-time course to a great extent. So three years on an ecumenical course, um, learning alongside Anglicans and Methodists mostly, um, so evening classes and weekends away, uh, which was which was fun. Um, probably a bit tough on the family because my poor husband had the kids at <laughs> And was he training as well? No, he was already in a, in a, a ministry at that stage. So, uh, so he'd already gone through it? He'd already gone through training, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the big, the big time comes, you, you finish your training, and then where do you go to be the minister, as it were? Right. Well, at that stage, we moved from Crawley, where my husband had been for the previous five years, up to Leicester. And um, I'm ordained, inducted to serve in two churches, one of which was in a a relatively inner city area, very multicultural, multi-faith area of Leicester, which itself is a a fascinating city. Um, And the other on an outer estate, um, sort of place that's called a sink estate at times. Um, And... The latest census at the point that I moved there was that it was 98% white, which for Leicester is a very strange figure because Leicester is so multicultural as a whole. So I had two different churches in very different areas of of the city and had both the the urban deprivation and the multicultural um, issues going on, which was great fun. Now, obviously, you you come to the role as a, of a minister having had a lot of other roles. I mean, you you got substantial experience of life. You've been a social worker. You'd suffered. You know, you'd studied. You know, psychology for a while, and of course, all of the other life experiences that you'd had, including the London City Mission. That's not always the case for people who train for ministry. And I mean, how, how important do you think it is that people have that? A good experience of life be- before actually they take on roles like like full time ministry. 
I think each of us brings something to ministry, uh, and one of the one of the advantages of having that experience is that y- you simply know a bit more about the world than perhaps a twenty two year old, twenty three year old might know. But equally, people like me who were ordained in in their middle years will never have that breadth of ministry experience that the people who came in in their 20s have. So I think we all have different things to offer. And certainly having worked with ministers for whom this has been the whole of their working life, and those who have come in later in life, I think it's not about good or bad. It's it's simply about different, different journeys. Different journeys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about the, the whole thing about being a woman because I mean you touched very very early on the program you you talked to me you played that uh, that uh, wonderful track uh, from the Eurythmics uh, uh, you know uh, not easy for for a, a woman things have changed considerably did you experience any any sort of uh, objections any any barriers that were put in your way I don't think I ever saw any barriers. But even then, and we're talking 25 years ago now, um, for a lot of people, if they came to a funeral that you led, you would pick up, I've never been to a funeral led by a woman before. Um, That was the sort of stage we were at. And there was very much a feeling that if you did a decent job, then that was fine. But if you'd not had a good day then in some people's minds, women weren't able to do this. Uh, and that, that's, that's one of those things about all sorts of equality issues that, that you know, it, it, putting it bluntly, if you're a white, black, heterosexual man and you have a bad day, that's okay. But if you are disabled or black or female, sometimes it can be seen that if you personally don't do a good job that day, then that means women or black people, or disabled people, can't do the job. So in a way, you have to work extra hard to overcome all of that. I think I think you do. I don't think I realised it at the time, but reflecting back afterwards, I became more aware that that you know this whole thing of having to do things well, um, and I mean I think that's important anyway. Whoever you are. Um, it's really important to do things to the best of our abilities, but also to recognise that sometimes you just have to work with good enough. Because if you're trying to get perfection all the time, you'll probably never get anything done. Hmm. I mean, I know that, that when, when I think of, of women in the ministry, of course, I immediately think of you a well-known comedic um, actor, you know, Don French. <laughs> oh, yes. With, uh, with uh, the wonderful <laughs> programme where she became the vicar of Dibley, you know. Uh, I mean, obviously, um, comedy, but but in a way, uh, I suppose the the... the, the the Geraldine, as she was in the <laughs> in the movie, actually put a human face on ministry, didn't she? She did, and like so many sitcoms, whilst it's it goes to extremes, but it actually reflects reality, um, and I think that's that's important. And one of the things about Geraldine Granger is the fact that she was so much of a people pleaser. I mean, those of you who remember how many Christmas dinners she ate because she couldn't say no to anyone. And that's a, a danger. That's the classic one, isn't it? it we is. all remember. And they keep playing it every Christmas. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. But 
good comedy lasts. <laughs> well, of all of the things, as you look back, you know, on those early years, and got, you, you obviously you've had a few few years under your belt now, uh, Claire. I mean, now you're you're like a supervisor of ministers, aren't you? I mean, in a support in a supportive role. Tell us a wee bit about. I mean, I, I've I've used the term that you are a moderator, but for mm. the completely uninitiated, tell us about what that role. What the is. heck is a moderator? Is it like a bishop or a? <laughs> Um, it, it is a regional ministry. It is a supporting churches and ministers. Um, I, I joke about the term moderator because my father used to work in the nuclear industry many, many moons ago. <laughs> uh, and I say that nuclear power stations have moderators. Um, they're designed to slow the reaction down enough to make it efficient. Uh, and I think there's there's something in that picture that, that works for the moderator role. Um, it's not the same as being a bishop because I, I am – in the United Reformed Church, we, we're not really either a top-down or a bottom-up organisation. We, we, we are a – In the middle, basically. Uh, we are in the middle, mm. I think. So – uh, whilst my bishop colleagues would argue that they don't have much power either, I would say that I don't have power in the sense that So you're that not there to tell do. people what to do or even to give churches and leaders their, you know, a vision which comes from you as the moderator? No. I, mission and ministry happens at a local level. It happens where the people of God meet together, worship together and work together in mission. And so... In our region, what we try to do is support local churches in doing that. So we can provide encouragement, we can provide resources, we can help them think about things. But it's not my job to tell any particular church exactly what they should be doing. Every now and again, it's my job to tell individuals that they can't do that, whatever that is. Um, that's where the tough bit comes from. Then. Yes, so... You know, things like disciplinary procedures have to come through someone, and that's one of the things that I do. Um, you know, but but mostly it's trying to encourage churches rather than to to limit them in what they're doing. Now, again, t tell us a wee bit about the United Reformed Church. I mean, obviously, it's it's different church traditions coming together: Presbyterian, Congregational. Uh, and so marrying those two traditions, which I guess would have had some similarities in the in the first place anyway. Yes. I mean, I wasn't part of either of the two denominations that came together back in 1972. I mean, my first memory of the United Reformed Church was noticing a church notice board had changed on a bus route I used to go on. Um, but there were clearly similarities between the two in terms of their beliefs. I mean, they're mainstream Christians, so there's similarities between all of us. But it, it is... The Presbyterians were far more sort of top-down in their, in their structure, and the Congregationalists were very much based at a local congregation level. So my understanding is the coming together were, was... It was long and hard, but at that stage, and we're talking discussions happening in the 60s there was this dream of churches coming together into united churches as they have done in various parts of the world um we have a link between our wessex synod and the united church of zambia um it it's more of a united church than we are so the dream was the united reformed church wouldn't be a long-lasting thing it was 
designed as an interim measure while other denominations might join in. And one of the sadnesses for the United Reformed Church is, is that 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 sort of structural unity hasn't come to being in in any big way. The sort of dreams of that 60s, early 70s era have have changed. And now a lot of things happen locally, cooperatively, but not so much on a structural level. And I guess, uh, you know, sitting uh, in the region, is it Southampton you have your base? Yes, our office is in Southampton. So, so, you know, so sitting you know, at the base and looking at a very, very different church, a very different ministry right across uh, uh, the region, it must be a, a, quite a tough thing to support what is an, a very diverse uh, range of churches. It's both a joy and a burden, I'd say, that that diversity. I mean, seeing people reaching out to their local communities in so many different ways, the way in which you, know, you can share creative ideas from one place to another, even if the starting point is, is rather different. Um, but quite a number of our churches are struggling and the pandemic has has you know, had its effect on communities. And so trying to support churches in saying, what is God calling us to now? And in some cases, that that's actually helping them make the difficult decision that perhaps their energy would be better used in God's mission somewhere else. And, and that maybe their particular church needs to come to an end so that life can be helped elsewhere. Um, you know, we believe as Christians in death and resurrection. We're not always so good at the death bit. <laughs> we sometimes want the resurrection first. But getting churches to look at that. You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. Well, my very special guest today has been uh, Claire Downing, the moderator of the United Reformed Church in the Wessex region. Shortly be- become the, the the interim moderator. Is it is it, is it, is it an interim post? For it, you? It's a it's a transitional post um, in the Northwestern Synod, which has just gone through a bit of a tough time recently. So I'm going to be there for three years and hopefully settling things down and preparing for them to, to have somebody come in for a longer period afterwards. Now, obviously, as somebody, you've been, you've been very much, are very much part of church governance and all of that. But setting all of that aside, you know, setting all of the challenges which are always with us, what is it, Claire, that really encourages you uh, the most? Has it encouraged you and continues to encourage you? There's, there's so much that encourages, I think. Most of it is people. Most of it is the people that you see in local churches who are providing all sorts of services for their community, who are involved in in worship, um, who are in some cases just the very quiet people who simply pray for others. Uh, and that's one of the the ministries that I think we just need to encourage so much. And with some people who really can't get out and about and do as much these days they can still pray Uh, and knowing that people are praying for me is really encouraging Um, one of the privileges of being this 
sort of regional minister is that sometimes, whereas a lot of local church ministers are leading worship every week, sometimes I simply get to sit in worship and be part of worship. And that's a huge privilege. And again, an encouragement at times. Now, what about leading worship? Because you, because you were saying about, because obviously you have that musical part, which is a big part of your 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 life. And then, did I hear you? Are you still singing in a choir? I used to sing in a choir. Um, when I was in Leicester, I joined a choir that was um, very multicultural and sang a lot of of songs from around the world, all unaccompanied. And it's a style of music I love. Um, it, it was a wonderful choir for me because. It, it was very tolerant of people who, if they learnt their parts properly but couldn't turn up to all the rehearsals, um, you were still accepted. Although that wonderful man, Gareth Malone, you know, he has made uh, sort of music sort of accessible to everybody, hasn't he? Oh, yes. And his his first choir that he took on was in a boys' school not so far from us. And, uh, yeah, that, that was fascinating because especially... Getting lads to sing is is always tough, but I enjoy using music in worship. So uh, I, I don't often use a huge amount, but I, I'm quite happy teaching people new songs and things like that. And do you like a sort of a broad range? I mean, do you like the contemporary along with the traditional? Yes, yeah, a whole range of, of different sorts of music, um, and you know, some of it coming from different parts of the world as well. I mean, one of the privileges of this role has been having contact with partner church out in in Africa, United Church of Zambia, uh, and being able to go and be part of worship there. Um, And is it it, it that dynamic African, what we associate with African people? Oh, a lot of it is, yes, yes. And, And... you know, if you think about your traditional British church, a bit different since since COVID, but, you know, the offering, which is so often taken in silence and people looking miserable. And you just need to go to a church where people dance up to the front with their offerings. Uh, and Well, God loves somehow, a joyful giver, doesn't he? <laughs> well, yes, yes. And 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 one of their, their phrases out, out in Zambia is, is, God is good all the time. And I think, you know, that's something that we forget here. Um, You know, we were talking about encouragement. Sometimes you just need a smile to encourage you. Um, I I also do have a husband who is incredibly supportive and challenging at times. Now, he's coming up for a retirement. Well, well, I'm saying retirement. Is he really going to retire or will he simply divert his activities into something else? Oh, he'll keep himself busy. We're not quite sure what with at the moment and uh, moving house in the meantime will will bring fresh challenges and depending on where we are, quite what he'll do. But he he's certainly not going to, um, he's not going to sit in front of the telly all day. Claire, as we draw everything uh, together, I mean, pastures new, uh, a bit scary for you and a bit sad, I guess, for people in the West East region saying goodbye. Uh, well, I, I've described it as, as, you know, just just being very mixed feelings that I have about moving on um, because I've loved my time here, fantastic part of the country, um, though I'm going to be covering different fantastic bits of the country. Um well, I started my career myself in the northwest. I mean, they, they'll have your business in five minutes. 
<laughs> I, I've lived in bits of the northwest so before, you know so I, I, I know something of, of that. It's, it's a different sort of place, likely to be living in a very urban area, whereas at the moment I live just outside Basingstoke in a village that feels villagey. Um, so lots of change coming up and lots of uncertainty at the moment. Mm, absolutely. And what's your what's your main hope and desire for the United Reformers? I mean, you've served how many years for the church? I've <laughs> been a min- I'll have been a minister twenty five years this summer. Yeah. So. Uh, I, my main hope is not specifically for the United Reform Church. It's for the church, and it is that we will be people who are happy to share the good news of Jesus. Sometimes in our churches we get too tied up with the church as an institution. And actually what people are interested in is what makes other people tick. And if we can say to other people what makes us tick is our relationship with God. What gets us through the tough times is our relationship with God. That's going to be a lot more interesting to them than what we did at church last week. Well, Claire, thank you for being a great guest and wish you every blessing as you go to Pastors New. There's still a little a little time with us here in the in the Wessex region. And then we'll have to give you a call up in the northwest and then see how things are progressing up there. <laughs> ah, well, yes. And, and the offices that I'm, I'm going to be working from have their own little media set up. Even, even better. Well, you've got, you're in training now, aren't you? We can maybe <laughs> do a bit of a link, can't we? <laughs> 90.1 Hope FM and HopeFM.com.